Greetings, nerds. This is Tina Nerd. I'm your host, Sarah Belmont, and with me, as always, is our Mr. Producer, Will Polk. How are you doing tonight, Will? I'm doing very well, Sarah. How are you? I'm doing all right. That's good. Have, have a good week. Uh, I plead the fifth on that. Uh, no worries. So we've got a long holiday week coming up, so that will make up for a rough one. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know. Don't know. Well, cool. Well, hopefully it makes up for it. How's that? Hopefully. Well, I guess I know we teased <laughs> this some for our Arrow fans. Let's talk about this. You're so cryptic. What is this? This. So we were lucky enough to, to ask James Banford, the producing director for Arrow, to, to join us. And he said yes. But unfortunately, you couldn't join us. And I really, really am bummed about that. But yep. <laughs> but uh, we hope everyone enjoys it, and uh, hopefully we'll get him back on again sometime soon so Sarah can join in the conversation. So this is Will and James Bamford. Greetings, nerds. We are happy to bring you a very special guest this week. We have James Bam Bam Bamford, the producing director of Arrow, joining us to talk about his career and his time on the, on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. James, how are you doing today? Great. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Um, thank you so much for, for joining us and also for following our podcast page. And uh, we really enjoy seeing all your great pictures on uh, Instagram. I know you had a, a, a nice vacation trip to, to Europe uh, during, during your break. And it looks like you and your family had a great time. Yeah, it was wonderful. Thank you very much. You have to take uh, use your, your, your free moments in this life. You have to cherish them. So. You know, work hard, play hard, as it were. I hear you. Yep, yeah, definitely. That's, that's great words to, to live by, and I know we, we try to live by that mantra as well. So one of the things we'd like to talk with you about is you've had a very, very interesting career arc from going to a, a stunt choreographer to now producing director of a major television show. And we'd just like to, for our listeners, who, who many of them who are familiar with you, but uh, some are not, if you could just sort of introduce yourself to us and, you know, where does your story start and, and where do, what drew you to uh, doing stunt work and, and, and then needed to do uh, the work you're doing behind the camera now? I was uh, brought up in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada, small town. Long story short, brought up by my mother and father. I was adopted okay. at birth. Interesting, interesting occurrence in itself. Uh, I was always very grateful for that, and my parents were always uh, – you know, from the very early on, telling me that I was chosen and that sort of thing. Uh, so I grew up feeling very confident and strong about choices that I made within the confines of, of, of a small town and whatnot. Went through, you know, a lot of athletics programs growing up and landed in a martial arts uh, eight years old. The foundation and platform. Uh, for me for the rest of my life, essentially self-discipline and uh, hard work and all of that um, have sort of spilled over into other aspects of my life uh, stemming from martial arts. Uh, I, I was very fortunate to have been able to uh, attend classes and really push myself from a very early age and then, and then apply uh, that same formula, uh, if you will, to, to other aspects of my life. And, and then eventually in, into the film industry. Uh, when I was a very young boy, my father and I used to watch television a fair amount and, you know, go to films and, and whatnot, and, and a lot. And, uh, you know, I was an only child, so I watched a lot of television. Um, 
Right. So I want to ask you, what was your favorite program? There were, there were a few that we watched quite regularly, um, one of them being The Six Million Dollar Man. Um, oh, yeah. Starring Lee Majors. Favorite on Charlie's Angels. Uh, they were just, you know, the, the, the programs that were on at the time, you know, they were just indicative of of that period of time in history and, you know, what was going on in television. And uh, there was a certain amount of suspension of, of disbelief um, right. that went on in television there. Even as a, as a small child, I could see, you know, mostly everything was filmed in Los Angeles. Um, and you could clearly see. I wondered, strangely enough, I, I was curious as to why every television show that, that I viewed, um, I didn't know why um, there had to be palm trees um, <laughs> seemingly in every city yeah. um, on every show. So eventually the, real, the realization came to me that, you know, pretty much every program on television was was filmed in the same city. Uh, yep, yep. No matter what, you know, it said that it was, it was uh, Los Angeles. And even an eight-year-old uh, can can figure that one out um, after a certain amount of time. So if the show is being filmed in Southern California, I always, growing up watching Knight Rider, I was wondering why Michael Knight always walked around warm Southern California in a black leather jacket. <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, like my my question, like I said, when when I was at that age, was why were there always palm trees? There's no palm trees where I live. Why are there why are there palm trees? It was interesting, and and very early on, I started uh, with visuals. I, I started forming sort of. Um, I tried to pick out where something was filmed, I, and this is and this is um, you know eight or nine years old. Um, I was I was uh, like you could tell. I could tell right away if something was shot in New York or mm-hmm. Los Angeles, having never been to either one of those cities. Yeah. That looks yeah. very strange, uh, come to think of it, uh, now. Even if they didn't mention the, the name of the city, there was sort of a quality of light that you could, that you could sort of feel and, and see within anything that was filmed in either one of those cities. It was really interesting to me, strangely enough, as a child. But, um, the six million dollar man in particular, he, the, the lead character was capable of all these incredible feats of jumping and running. You know, he could run right. eight miles an hour. And, uh, and I would always ask my father, who's not with us any longer, I would always ask my father, uh, you know, how does he do that, dad? Like, what, how come, yeah. can I run 60 miles an hour? Um, can I jump over fences and, you know, and, uh, that are 20 feet high? And he would say, well, that's not him, son. That's a stuntman. Okay. And after that, I started to be really curious as to what's a stuntman. Oh, wow. And then, you know, later on, we'd watch movies like Hooper, which revolved around, you know, the whole stunt part of the industry. And then the right. stuntman became unveiled to me um, and uh, sort of the whole stunt industry. And, and Wonder Woman uh, came on television, which we also watched uh, uh, with Linda Carter. And then I became quite curious as to, you know, she must have a stunt double also, a stunt woman. And, you know, when you're a little kid, you're just learning and, and you, you know, you're trying to figure things out. And, and then um, I heard about her stunt double, which was, there wasn't as much, there wasn't social media back then. There wasn't, you had to sort of research things in a different fashion. 
I was going to say a lot of the Reef Starlog magazine that right. will be the that was the social media of the day. Exactly, exactly. Magazine, one hundred percent. I would search and look for articles on stunt doubles and uh, stunt people. Um, and we'd go, you know, we went to Disneyland um, on a trip. I think I was again eight years old. Went to Disneyland and of course uh, Universal Studios at the time. Mm-hmm. And all I was interested in was the the live stunt show. Um, I didn't care about anything. I didn't. I didn't care about the rides. I didn't get, you know, uh, I wanted the behind the scenes stuff. I wanted, you know, I wanted to learn. Um, we'd see the live stunt show and, uh, there was stunt men, stunt women, you know, um, and, uh, it was just really interesting to me and I began to start to break it down for myself. Uh, later on, I was a juvenile corrections officer, uh, in Victoria, uh, Canada okay. and, uh, and at the time, I was also teaching uh, karate um, uh, for my instructor at, at, a, at a karate dojo. Uh, so basically, I grew up in a in a karate club. Uh, after the age of eight, I just stayed there and kept training. Um, eventually, became an instructor, and uh, through one of the uh, stunt uh, stunt people who had become a stunt person later in life who was a, um, a karate student at this same school, contacted my instructor and sort of, you know, said, hey, we're looking for a, a guy who's about six feet tall and 170 pounds and can kick, can do tricks and kick uh, cigarettes out of people's mouths of that nature. And, uh, you know, he said, oh, I have a young black belt here that could do that and blah, blah, blah. And uh, so they asked us to put some something on tape which was, of course, a VHS tape at the time. Right. And, uh, we filmed, um, we filmed like three hours worth of footage of myself, uh, performing all these different feats, um, you know, breaking boards and little fight sequences that I, that I choreographed and, you know, uh, things of this nature. And, and, uh, we edited it down to about two minutes long and sent it off to the stunt coordinator on a, um, it was for a TV series called, uh, Cobra at the time, starring Michael Dudikoff. Oh yeah, um, who you may remember as the American Ninja at, at one time. Yep, I do. Um, and it turns out he needed a stunt double, uh, a predominantly a, a martial arts. Uh, he needed a martial arts fight double uh, at the time. And um, long story short, uh, they had me come over to Vancouver and audition for them in person, just to make sure I was the person on the videotape. And, uh, that I could do all the things that, that were promised. Next thing you know, I was asked if I had a place to stay because I was working tomorrow. So, awesome. um, that's a great story. <laughs> and there you go. And, uh, yeah, my stunt career started. I was literally thrown into the mix. Um, I was, I was thrown onto set, uh, and asked to choreograph the fight on my first day on set. Um, the, the fight of which my character was the central you know, come back. Okay. Um, and luckily he had done a lot of, in my karate, uh, we had done a lot of live performances and, and whatnot for, you know, the, you know, the um, local fair and, and whatnot um, okay. on stages. So, you know, that sort of thing was second nature at that point. So, you know, it was fun. Um, yeah. What I didn't realize was, you know, at the time, <laughs> my first, 
my first day on set, I didn't realize that, uh, you know, I, I just thought it was me. Okay, it's, it's me now. I'm fighting. So uh, it wasn't made clear to me that I was, you know, yes, I was a stunt double for the lead character, which in this case was Michael Dudikoff. He was a Navy SEAL and all sorts of things. But um, it wasn't made clear to me that I, I should be mimicking his, you know, posture and his, right. you know, the way he walked and uh, all his little idiosyncrasies and whatnot. So um, I just went into full, you know, Bruce Lee mode, and, um, and it was pretty, I think it was quite humorous as to uh, the, the result because I just started fighting the way I thought. Yeah. Uh, I was a huge Bruce Lee fan also, is a, well, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah sleep fan. I mean, I don't know what you're into back then. Um, it was sort of like it was, uh, yeah, either Bruce Lee or, or Chuck Norris, and then later, I guess, in later years, uh, John Claude Van Damme. Yeah, I never. I I just stuck with Bruce. Um, um, and uh, uh, Muhammad Ali was was a huge influence and inspiration to me as well, just throughout my life, um, both as a you know as a boxer as as a as an athlete but sort of as a, as a human being as well and as a political activist. Um, right, right. Um, through history, Muhammad Ali had a great effect. Bruce Lee yeah. also, outside of his film work, was a great man, a great a philosopher, and um, a martial artist, um, to his credit, in, in, you know, a real-time martial artist. I never was a Van Damme fan. Um, I was a bit of a Chuck Norris fan, not to... Uh, but to a greater extent, you know, Bruce Lee and Ollie were my two guys. Later on, my mother worked at a um, a cablevision company, a uh, local cablevision company, so I had access to foreign um, films. So I was also a, uh, a Jackie Chan fan from very early on. Long before he was known to, to the United States, I was watching Jackie Chan films. Uh, his um, Chinese uh, films that were uh, weren't even dubbed at the time. Um, <laughs> they were in uh, Chinese, <laughs> so I was watching those films, uh, old kung fu films, and Jet Li, um, like long, 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 long before um, you know he was ever popular in the United States. So um, you know, and and so that part of the film industry and, and that was fascinating to me. Yeah. Let me ask you, uh, given that you've mentioned so many uh, famous martial artists, and, and, and not only uh, it, it, from the film industry like like Jackie Chan and Jet Li and Bruce Lee, what in in your current and and, and let and I'll use this to sort of segue as to how you got to uh, Arrow. Did did you in, in your professional career as a choreographer and stuntman implement some of their techniques into your choreography when you were you know, on set and working on different uh, productions? Of course. Of course. Constantly, I would borrow, pay homage to uh, moments that I loved from films, you know, Enter the Dragon, um, mm -hmm. Chinese Connection, Big Boss, uh, things like that, you know, Bruce Lee films, Jackie Chan films that I loved. It, it, it was difficult in the beginning, though, as they just weren't as accepted in the mainstream film and television here. Okay. So I was, I was literally told one of, one of the first fight sequences that I was um, participating in, I was literally told by one or two of the other, you know, the, the, uh, the stunt guys that, that I was fighting, I was told to slow down 
and huh. and to uh, form at stunt speed. They said the the exact quote was, "I need you to fight at stunt speed, not karate speed." What does that even mean? Uh, I didn't. Well, I I found out later that Bruce Lee was actually asked to slow down his movements because the film couldn't uh, film stock couldn't capture certain movements uh, if okay. if he moved too fast. At that time, that wasn't me. I mean, I'm not. I'm, I'm definitely not comparing myself to Bruce Lee because I, <laughs> I, I doubt that I was ever as fast as him. You know, obviously when I was when I was a younger a uh, younger man, I you know I had a, a lot more speed, speed and and uh, and and power and such. But um, I I, w- I definitely was never Bruce Lee. But the techniques and and the style of of the stunt fighting on set back then were were different. They were you know more based on Sort of what were what was done in the cowboy uh, movies, you know, more John Wayne, and so mm-hmm. the timing was much more one beat timing. So you know, one punch, one block, one punch, one fall, and it was one, two, three, four. Okay. And I was, you know, I, I wasn't taught to fight like that in 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 the martial arts. I was I was taught to beat your opponent to the punch and pa 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 and hit okay. them five times to their one punch and, you know, hit them 10 times before they hit the floor sort of thing. It, it was, it baffled me that somebody was telling me to slow down. It was, it, it didn't make sense to begin with. Um, and of course you're the new guy. So you, you adapt to, to what's asked of you because you want to fit in and, and all that sort of thing with, with the current industry standards and that sort of thing. And then later as you start to realize you see yourself on camera you see and then and i still i I see myself on camera and and think wow um that looks really slow compared to compared to what i knew i was what i knew i was capable of i thought of that certain thing so i would i would learn by i would learn a lot of what not to do and and i just never felt that that time in the, the industry i never felt that the particularly the fight sequences in North America, I never felt that they were being performed up to snuff because, because again, I was a Hong Kong film fan and I was just used to a different pace and timing. So it took a long time for for American cinema to sort of catch up to uh, to that style. And now it's obviously it's it's become popular for years now uh, since since The Matrix and before. But, but before, um, they, they used to use a lot of tricks, just usually it would be editing to try, try and help speed up the process. You can see old movies and, and also, uh, they'd shoot things very close and tight as in, I mean, they've done it now on, uh, Born Identity, but referencing as far back as say, uh, Mel Gibson film Lethal Weapon, there's yeah. a final fight sequence in the rain out on the front lawn, uh, between him and, and, uh, and the bad guy, um, it's it's shot very tight, and you can't see what's going on, and you know that sort of thing. But that's a technique used because you know the actors weren't completely uh, trained, and you know you have to sort of do that to hide the fact that their movement isn't isn't you know they're not martial artists and they're not right. Navy SEALs, they're not what have you, yeah. whatever the characters are are meant to be, and uh, you want you want to add energy into the uh, 
performance with with the lens as well. And you know, to this day, that is used. That particular technique is incorporated from time to time, uh, depending on what the scenario is. And audiences get more and more sophisticated and pick out. You don't want to, but you can pick out a stunt double sometimes if the lighting isn't quite right or editorially, for instance. You can always see in in some of the raw footage, you can always see a stunt double's face here or there, right, right. somewhere. But you know, there's a lot of things. There's lots of things you can do to protect for that. With the advent of you know actors, more and more are taking the physicality of the jobs more seriously yeah. because of guys like Tom Cruise who. Right, well, he's amazing. He goes out and trains, and exactly. But I mean, and then consequently, certain times he gets injured because of it as well. Right, like, right. You saw, you've probably seen the footage where he's broken it. He broke his ankle doing that jump. No matter what, the audience expectations um, are bigger and bigger throughout the years. People forget that a stunt is a risk performance. There is a risk. People are still, even with visual effect augmentation. People are still risking their lives. The stunt men and women are still risking their lives and the injury. It is still an industry where the people performing it come to work every day and there is a 100% injury rate. You know, everybody gets hurt. It's the degree of the injury that the degree of the injury or the pain that we want to decrease every year. Right. The safety factor and, you know, everybody, you learn, you learn something every year. You learned what they did back in 1972, um, albeit impactful and painful and, you know, visually appealing, may not be as safe as another technique that we've devised in 2015. Yeah, uh, stuff yeah. People are always adapting and learning and o- overcoming new obstacles. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, I, you know, I think folks forget that. Uh, sometimes in our in our enjoyment of the stunts, we sometimes forget the dangerous nature of it. Just just recently, with uh, what happened on the uh, Walking Dead set with, with their stunt person who was uh, was killed, I think, performing a stunt, if I recall. Yeah, there was. Um, there's, you know, you you can name several instances on different set accidents do happen, and when something happens like that, you not only the the fans. Um, but the studios, the other stunt people, um, the actors, the crews, everybody's reminded that this is real. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of people that would come up and say, I want to be a stunt person. And you'd say, okay, well, jump off that loading bay and uh, to your back, uh, land on the cement uh, for me, and now do it 10 times in a row. No, actually 15 times. That's what, right. that's what the stunt person has to do on set every day. Wow! Wow! That's just, so that's a yeah. Case. People don't always realize. Yeah, it's not. It's not necessarily. You know, they only see the finished product. So right, it's not a one take kind of thing. It it really is. It's choreographed just like any other any other scene that's being shot. Yeah, it's choreographed. Um, it's rehearsed. It's um, and you try to, at least on on our show on Arrow, we try to keep going until you get it right. You know. Um, unfortunately, one of the big battles on television, on any television program, not just ours, is uh, time. So right. our show is very ambitious on Arrow. The, the scripts are very large and the action sequences are, are very large and detailed. 
and that takes time um, to shoot. And we're always fighting clock, and uh, safety is one of the big issues that has to be maintained at all times. Just sheer volume of, I mean, if we tried to count how many punches, for instance, have been thrown since the pilot of Arrow to <laughs> the premiere of season 701, we, it's impossible because right, right. it's just there's been that many that we've lost count. You know, yeah. How many fights have there been? How many punches thrown? How many jumps off rooftop? Yeah, yeah. Um, there's just, it's one of those shows. It's one of those rare shows where the level of the action is so high that, um, and the expectations are higher every season from everyone. Uh, right. We are a, we're not on uh, Netflix, although, well, we are on Netflix uh, later, but we're not, you know, we're not the bigger budget, um, you know, Daredevil, which came after us. We're not that. We're the, we're the first um, show of its kind, um, television-wise, wise, you know, after Smallville's uh, incarnation um, for years later, um, uh, there wasn't anything until Arrow came out, and then right. uh, and then it has spawned um, all these other shows. But we're still operating, you know, basically on the same budget and whatnot um, yeah. uh, compared to all these other shows. We don't depend for instance, on visual effects on Arrow right. as heavily as, say, you know, even Daredevil does or, or Flash, Supergirl, any of the shows where their characters are complete metahumans, for instance. Yeah. Our, um, our lead character and several of our other characters are, uh, um, you know, comparable to, say, the Batman um, of, the, of the DC universe, um, whereas right. he relies on his, skills, intuition, um, and uh, hard life <laughs> and uh, yeah. experience and training um, to get through and overcome his opponent. He can't, he doesn't have, uh, he doesn't have uh, superhuman strength. He doesn't have, you know, all these other things that a metahuman would have. So because okay. of that, we, you know, we also don't have the budget to support um, all these other skills, except, you know, it, it, our budget expands slightly when we shoot our crossover episodes because we have, yeah. we have no That's choice because we have these other characters coming to visit the show. We have, right. we have the flash, we have Supergirl, we have, so. Yeah. You, right, right. And you, and you, you directed one of the episodes of the crossover this year, correct? The, uh, part, part two? Uh, season five and season six. Yeah. Correct. The crossovers, I can, I can only imagine, uh, how much more complexity that brings to to, to filming. Uh, now since you're starting season seven, uh, let's give the fans an idea of what's any day, a given day of shooting of Arrow is like uh, from your perspective, from your days as a sub coordinator to now as a producing director. Completely different. They both, arriving on set is one thing, but it all stems from prep. Mm-hmm. So from the moment you receive the script, and that goes for, Every department that goes from the costume department, hair and makeup department, special effects department, art department, construction department, everyone, A to Z, it starts with the script. Usually, uh, early conversations with the writers and our showrunners uh, down in LA, sort of what's coming up. We like to have an idea so we can start thinking about coming up with ideas because again, the schedule is the time's ticking 
always, and the clock is against us. So we uh, we have to have ideas uh, in the chamber at all times. We have eight days to prep an episode. Wow. So from the time you get the script, generally, uh, while the other episode is shooting, you know, they're piggybacking each other. So while the other episode is shooting, we are prepping an episode, and we have eight business days, essentially. So, you know, Monday to Friday, and then uh, three more days the next week, and then we're shooting. That's not very much time in the grand scheme of things. Sometimes the episodes are 53 to 60 pages okay. of script, and how many umpteen scenes, and each scene has to be prepped. Each location, you know, has to be prepped. Is it a set or a location? What are they wearing? Um, is there fight choreography in that? Is there any rigging? Is there, what are the actors doing? What about character development? Are there any performance notes? You know, that sort of thing. That's from a director's perspective. But each script has its all its own qualities that have to be attended to. There's no cookie cutter just going to do this. And, the, you know, it's not a machine. Each script has to be handled differently, and we have a different director for each script as well. As a stunt coordinator or a fight choreographer, we get the script. We have um, go through a series of meetings, brainstorming sessions in the stunt department. There's a full stunt team here, which is different than historically the rest of the film industry. Usually you have one stunt coordinator, and that's it, and he'll hire people coming in and out. It's, it's becoming more popular now to establish the same model that you do on a feature film, which is you have a team because just the sheer volume and the, and the quality control level here on the show is, is very difficult. It would be impossible for one stunt coordinator. So we have a stunt coordinator, a fight choreographer, who's also a stunt coordinator, um, a lead stunt double, and, and uh, three or four other uh, supporting stunt utility folks who given various tasks throughout the prep process and on set as well we have stunt riggers we have you know you name it so you get the script you read it you go through meetings and meetings and more meetings you survey the locations you go to rehearsals you choreograph fight sequences and then eight days later you're on set as a stunt coordinator or the um, or the fight choreographer you arrive there early you call all your guys um, and girls and you ensure everybody's prepared and rehearse that when you arrive on set, all that is done. You should be ready when you arrive on set. You know what time. The uh, stunt performers go through hair and makeup. The coordinator goes right to set and should stand right beside the director and be ready. Um, if the director decides to change their mind at the last minute, you have to run away and re-choreograph something at the last minute. Perhaps we try not to do that on this show because that can be both unsafe and okay. and also look, you know, unpracticed and unpolished, which which we like to avoid as much as possible. And then that's your day. The stunt coordinator, when a stunt is going on or when a fight is going on, basically runs the set as the director would, and they will interface with the director, with the camera department, with with everyone on set, with the ADs, and the stunt coordinator or the director is, uh, is calling the shots, essentially, which is why uh, historically stunt coordinators do roll into a second unit director quite often. Um, okay. position because essentially they are directing uh, right, when they're right. running the set. Um, and during the prep process, we instituted on this show, and, and it's been going on for years. I used to do it way back on a show called Jeremiah, way back in like the late 90s, 
we do on this show what's called a previs. We will uh, shoot our fight or stunt rehearsals and then edit it into a sequence, add music, special effects, you know, sound effects and all that. And we present that to the directors and the producers as a full package. Here's your fight. And it's basically a puzzle piece format. Here's this shot. This shot fits into this shot. It also goes down to the editors, and hopefully it's followed, you know, that model or that design is followed throughout the process. It takes the guesswork out of it, um, and that within the uh, prep process. So by the time you get to set, you're not on autopilot because, you know, things come up. It's, it's you know, right. when humans are involved, there's, it's not a robotic process. By the time you get to set, you should be over-prepared, uh, which is very, as I said, very difficult on a television series. When I started as a stunt performer, you you would be asking the stunt coordinator on the phone when he'd call and hire you, what am I doing? Oh, I'll tell you when you get here. <laughs> what you would, you know, quite often hear. And rehearsal, yeah. what? Your rehearsal would be when the camera was rolling, <laughs> you know. Right. Oh, by the way, um, I need you to throw a fight together. Okay, mm-hmm. when are we shooting? Oh, in 10 minutes. And yeah. you'd already be there. That's how it was done a lot. Back in the day, that's how much time and prep and care 30 years ago, um, that would happen a lot, um, in my right, experience. And right. this is, I'm speaking my experience, what would go on, um, back then. Let me ask you this. I wanted to sort of piggyback on a topic we discussed earlier about actors being very more engaged in their own stunts these days. Tell us, I know our, our, our I'm sure our listeners will want to know, what's it like to uh, work with an actor like Stephen ML who's very physical, very kinetic actor, and uh, and also some of the other members of the cast, who, uh, especially with the new team Arrow coming on board here in recent years. Well, Stephen, uh, right off the bat, number one on the call sheet, uh, Stephen Amell comes in with an incredible athletic ability right off the bat. Uh, I met him in the pilot and started training him for the pilot, and my process was as such that I would uh, start introducing techniques to him, Filipino martial arts from Japanese martial arts, and run him through several drills, and then I would observe him. And mm-hmm. the choreography for the pilot, I based on his strength. So what he excelled at in training, I would put into the fight sequences in the uh, in the uh, pilot. And he also came to us uh, well-trained uh, in, in the parkour world, he was training down in L.A. before he arrived in Vancouver. So um, his strengths from parkour were also incorporated, which is it's great if you can do that. Um, and then Stephen continued to train. Um, when you get into the series process, there isn't as much time. Before the pilot, of course, we have months leading up to shooting. So, you know, he had a lot of training. And now we have to just uh, um, rely on his basic training that he had in the pilot to – get us through and you know now it's like Stephen will learn pieces of fight sequence he'll learn just before he goes to camera now because he's in almost he's the lead character so he's in almost every scene and uh, the stunt guys are over here doing this he's over here doing that and um, he has learned to he's also got a very receptive brain Um, he learns choreography very quickly and um, he's very talented in, in that way that you can show him something once and he just looks at you and nods and says, okay, I got it. And the next thing you know, he's running through it and he's, 
he's performed it. He'll do it a couple times, and then we roll the camera and um, in the final product. And that's coming from before the pilot of Arrow, Stephen had not had any martial arts experience whatsoever. Wow. Um, he hadn't thrown a punch previous. David David Ramsey, uh, as an opposite example, David had trained for many, many years um, right. with different masters in different forms of, of the martial arts. So David Ramsey came to us as a martial artist, which, which was great. And we have trained, he and I have trained in similar styles throughout the years as well. So we speak a lot of the same language uh, technically and whatnot, so, which was really great um, experience altogether. Did you find yourself telling him to slow down? <laughs> no, no, no. I don't see, I don't do that. <laughs> okay. I never have. Since I became a fight choreographer and had that experience as a performer, um, I'm the guy who tells people to speed up. Okay. Okay. Um, the difference between, the, the difference between dance and fight choreography is this. They both are choreographed. Dance sequences, mm-hmm fight choreography on film are both choreographed sequences. The difference is the timing and the speed. Okay. Dance, the timing is such, depending on the style or the origin of the dance, the timing is such that you see this technique, you see that technique, and it flows. And um, it's not different uh, from fight choreography in that way. You you want to be able to see the different styles or the influences within the fight choreography but the timing and the intensity um, of fight choreography has to have the feeling of uh, that violent nature that you find in a fight, that fight right. on a street, that fight, you know, in the ring, that fight, you know, but you add style to it and technique that you normally wouldn't find in a, in a, in a real fight. We, you know, you do your superhero pose here and there, your a little more uh, flashy technique, but we try to, if possible, keep the technique as practical and pragmatic on arrow as, as possible. So, but the timing has to be such that it's believable. Hey, what I used to do as a fight choreographer, I, which I don't as the director any longer because somebody else has that job, but uh, I would put myself within the fight. So I would have, if it's a multiple opponent fight, I would say, okay, come at me. You know, come at me, bro. And then I would deal with, okay, you throw a punch here. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You throw, you kick me from, from that angle. And I, I would wanted to feel what it was like. Okay. Three guys are coming at me at once. What would I do? You can look at a fight and say, you know, uh, there are fights that, that are criticized as, you know, too quote unquote dancey, um, which happens from time to time. And, and, uh, whether it's the way it's shot or the way it's performed or, or what have you, I try to, as much as possible, avoid that. But sometimes, and with some certain characters, you you know you want that feel. Um, it, right. it, it depends on the character and and you know the nature of the show and you know what the director wants and you know there's there's all sorts of influences that that may dictate uh, which way you want to go with that. But just in general, general rule is you know, for for certain performers making a T-shirt for me said less dance, more fight. <laughs> stop dancing, start killing, that sort of thing. Because it's a fight. You know, it's a fight. It has to feel like a fight. You have to feel the jeopardy, and you don't. And and that's always, you know, I've had actors that I've worked with in the past that come from a dance background, which is fantastic. 
because they have a great capacity for learning choreography very quickly and and keeping their technique solid and that sort of thing. And then I have to go in and sort of break down, you know, what's indicative of a fighter posture-wise, whereas a dancer is very open and in performance. They're showing uh, their body. Um, their shoulders are back. They stand very they stand very tall. Their spine, you know, is straight and erect. Whereas a fighter, uh, your shoulders are rolled forward. Your arms are protecting your your torso. Um, your chin is down, um, so that you know you're, you're you're making less of a target for your opponent. A dancer is making a bigger target, and if, if you if you look at a, a dancer from a fight perspective, uh, generally a dancer is making a bigger target, and um, they're making themselves more vulnerable to attack, whereas a fighter is uh, trying to make a smaller target. But of course, in film fighting, it's somewhere in between. Gotcha. So I, I had another question since we're talking uh, transitions from stunt person to now director. What, what's exactly the role of a producing director on a show like Arrow? Essentially is uh, somebody who is the keeper of the one, number one, the, the uh, one, I mean, one of the things, the visual style and integrity of the show that's been okay. established on the show. So he or her will direct several episodes between four and five episodes, depending on how many episodes there are in the season, whether it be 22, 23, or 13. Uh, to, be, to be effective as a producer, you can't direct too many episodes. You know, there's a sweet spot there, usually four to five um, you are given so that you, you have an effect on the, the style of the show, but at the same time, you are there for the to support the other directors that come on. So you are you are in a supervisory position and the keeper of the of the uh, visual quality and and a problem solver and such for the other oncoming directors. I act as a liaison between Los Angeles, our writers' room, our uh, showrunners, and Vancouver as far as you know, what they want to see visually if we're developing a new character, if we want to change a current character, that sort of thing, because our, you know, our writers are our our home base uh, for for that part of the process is in Los Angeles. So there has to be a communication. Also, our post-production, our editing is all done in Los Angeles as well. So there has to be, you know, communication between, you know, Los Angeles and Vancouver. We also have a line producer on the show who is responsible for scheduling, um, budgeting, all that sort of stuff as well. And we work in conjunction with each other as far as, okay, if there's a budgeting issue, how can we creatively overcome that to still, uh, you know, end up with the same product or the same effect that the the, uh, the script is, is asking for and the director is asking for. I help support the directors as, as, as the producer portion of it, I help support the directors as in, okay, well, here's our visual style. This is, you know, this is what we did here. Here's a suggestion for to shoot this particular scene, come up with things together, while at the same time allowing the directors to, you know, have their own vision, obviously, because that's what they, you know, that's what they do. And all the while maintaining the integrity, you know, we have to maintain the integrity of the show that's been established, et cetera. So it's producer-director. Director portion is... So uh, the director portion is not only my own episodes that, that I'm given. Generally, you will uh, be given the effectual episodes, the premiere, in this case, the crossover, the finale, uh, one or two other episodes within the season. 
maybe the, um, you know, sometimes the mid-season premiere or finale, that sort of thing. And then in between, the other directors have gone, you know, they've done their episode, they've completed their episode, and they've left. Sometimes if our episodes are too ambitious, there's footage that's uh, still required to be shot, and the the outgoing director isn't available. They've gone on to another show. That's also added onto my plate. I do the reshoots, the uh, pickup shots, the pieces that never got done because we ran out of time, that sort of okay. thing. Okay. And I'm still, when I'm doing that, I'm still working in conjunction with the other directors. The other directors are, are communicating with me the whole time uh, on the phone, via email. We're discussing, you know, what their wants and needs are and their vision. And then it's a, it's a collaborative process. Awesome. So what's, what's, so with that as a backdrop, what's been your favorite episode of, of the show been up to, up to this point? I've never been that guy. People have asked me, you know, as a stunt performer before, what's been your favorite stunt? Right. What's been your favorite stunt you've performed? What's been your favorite stunt? Uh, what's your movie? I, I've never been that black and white. I'm not that guy. I'm not the, even very early on as a child, somebody said, what's your favorite color? I'm like, I don't know. You know, I like blue. I like, I like red. I like, it depends. I don't know. So I have very many fond memories um, from this show and I have, a lot of fun moments, and there's just a list, a very long list. I, I was asked the other day on Twitter, actually, um, who my favorite or most inspirational director was, and that list goes on forever. I've got, you know, umpteen directors from different countries, uh, men and women. I've, I've been influenced by so many different, you know, from so many different angles, by so many different people. Myself as a as a stunt performer, I you know it's hard for me to sit still. I'm I'm a, I'm a multitasker, so it comes as a, uh, a help uh, in in this particular job. Two final questions for you, and I really do appreciate your time and being uh, so open with us on our on our program. Why do you think the Arrowverse worked so well on the CW? To begin with, when it first came out, it was new. Uh, it was different. It is something that had not. It was it was something that had never been done on the network and say Smallville came out and that sort of thing, but we are um, a 100%, 180 degree difference from Smallville. I can, you know, honestly say that this this show, Arrow, has never, had never been done before on television um, in this style, uh, this tone. Why does it continue to work? Because it's, it's constantly evolving. It's, uh, it's, while at the same time uh, attempting to maintain its 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 core, its soul. I have one final question, which I think everyone would be mad at me if I did not ask you this. And without betraying any any spoilers or anything, can you give us any hints about what we can expect in season seven? So many things. Uh, we have a new showrunner, uh, Beth Schwartz, who's mm-hmm. been on the show and, and involved with the show since the pilot. And she's a very, very talented, fantastic lady who's got a lot of great ideas and uh, for the direction of the show. So I can honestly tell you that season seven is going to be, albeit some of your favorite uh, qualities of the show, um, it's going to be a renewed feel um, and direction to the show, 100%. And, and, uh, um, I'm very excited, 
and uh, very happy to say that we're all, you know, uh, creatively as as an artist and as a director and somebody who's been also been involved with the show since the pilot. Um, you're always looking for new avenues to tack your creativity. She's got fantastic ideas in the direction of the show. There's also some new writers um, in our writer's room coming from different perspectives, different uh, shows, and uh, I think you're going to see a renewed vigor in, in just the energy and, well, you'll see. In our, even in our old characters, you're going to see uh, a different take on them and while at the same time maintaining some of our favorite qualities that, that they have. Now, what can I give away as far as spoilers? What I can tell you is uh, this. Ready? Ready. Are you ready? I'm ready. Nothing. <laughs> you get nothing. Uh, yeah. I, I had to try. I had to try. Sorry, Bob. That's okay. I totally, I totally understand. I know uh, we are, we're all following Twitter and social media very closely to see whatever spoilers we can get, any still, still shots from Vancouver, et cetera. But uh, I just, again, want to thank you so much for your time. It's been great chatting with you and learning more about your career and how you uh, got to be where you are today. Follow James on Twitter. He's uh, he's a great tweeter. Different, just as much energy as Stephen without stepping into it like he does sometimes. But uh, really do enjoy all your social media interaction, and uh, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, sir. Uh, I can say one thing about to the fans out there of, of our show. You know, all of our fans are very important to us. It doesn't matter what part of the fan base you're from. It doesn't matter which character you support. You're all very important to us. Know that. And if somebody doesn't retweet something or, you know, you don't see something liked or, or what have you, you know, people are humans. You know, we're not, you know, people have jobs to do too. So, you know, our, our lives aren't always on Twitter. Um, we're also making the show. So we love all of you that have supported us since day one and come along the way. And I can't say enough great things about our fans that uh, I've met some wonderful people. I've gone to a convention or two and met some people who, who I met on Twitter and then later on in real life. And they've turned out to be friends uh, from, uh, you know, after that. And we still talk and, you know, there's just some really great people out there. And, and uh, it's just a wonderful thing to see how passionate um, our fans are. Um, now, as far as spoilers go, you know, back in the day when, when I was a kid, and even not a kid, even now, I don't want to know what's going to happen in, in, you know, an upcoming episode of my favorite shows. You know, back in the day, I've had several favorite shows throughout the years. I don't want to know. I want to watch the episode to find out. Because watching an episode and already knowing what's going to happen totally ruins it for me. Exactly. So um, that's why I, I try not to... I, I try very hard not to spoil if I can. People ask and, and I, you know, I want, I want, I, of course I want to make people happy because, you know, everybody wants everyone to be happy. I think it's really important to watch a show with a clean slate and not know what you're getting into. And there are qualities within an episode that are meant to surprise or shock you or throw you off. And to get the full effect of those story points, you know, you need to go into the episode clean. As a as a fan, and that's what I like to do as a fan anyway. Yeah, so our host Sarah Belmont, she's exactly that way. She uh, she avoids trailers just for that reason. Yeah, I just I don't want I want to be excited about an upcoming episode or a feature film. I don't want to find out too much about it. I just want to um, know who, you know who's in it. A spoiler to me is 
do we have a guest cast coming on to the show who may be interesting uh, to the fan base, you know, like myself, you know, we've seen on another show, perhaps, wow, you know, so-and-so is on the show. Wow. I, well, I really liked what they did on, on this show. I can't wait mm-hmm. to see what they do um, on Arrow or I, I, I really don't like giving away plot details or, or story as much as I can help it just because, you know, I want fans to enjoy watching the show and that their first look at the show should be with, for lack of a better term, uh, virgin eyes. Yeah, thank you so much for, for your time. We really do appreciate it. Look forward to seeing your work in Season 7. You're welcome, buddy, and thank you. Um, anyone, uh, you've always been a positive commenter on Twitter and the DMs and all that, and I support anyone who is, is a good person and kind and stay that way. The Internet's full of uh, people trying to hurt each other's feelings, and there's no need for that. I'm with you. Thank you. Thank you again. Okay, thank you, sir. You have a great day. And we're back. Well, I'm back. Will was with you guys the whole entire time. James was a fun person to talk to, and um, looking forward to seeing Arrow season seven. I think it's going to be a uh, going to be some good stuff. So, so Will, say your Twitter handle so they can t- tweet you or something. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me at Will M Polk. That's W I L L M P O L K. And you can find me on Twitter at SJBelmont, S-J-B-E-L-M-O-N-T. So please follow our crew on Twitter at Cena Nerd. Friend us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. But most importantly, rate, subscribe, and comment on both iTunes and SoundCloud. And you can also find us on the iHeartRadio app and Spotify. Good night. Geek out. You're welcome.